Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, are joining you on this Tuesday, the 22nd of November, right before Thanksgiving. Yes, it is Tuesday. Thank you uh, for all those that kind of hung out for an extra couple of days. It's It's been that silly season where things kind of go up and down and... and schedules kind of get thrown to the wayside when things come up and so uh, we were uh, fortunate to be able to record tonight because I'm on uh, on vacation this week took some uh, time off just to be with the family not going and doing anything crazy uh, just uh, to be able to have a few extra days at home but that gives me a free time during the week to record so Richard and I were able to marry it up this week so we are a few days behind but we appreciate your patience and uh, allowing us that time to to get this put together Want to thank you as always for being part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. It is just such a blessing to hear from you guys, to see the things that um, you have to say about the programs, the fact that you continue to share programs. And as we've said before, if you do share, think about sharing programs, not just whatever the latest one was or whatever might be the most hot button topic, but if you found anything that in this program that is helpful to you, and you know, we've got six and a half years worth of episodes, if you found something that was useful to you, Consider sharing that with someone. It doesn't have to be the most recent episode. Share something that was meaningful to you because maybe that'll help someone else. And again, this isn't about numbers. This isn't about growing a platform. Certainly, we don't have a huge platform, but we are grateful for those that are continuing to be uh, just consistent listeners and who have taken to taken heart to the things we ask for in terms of sharing and feedback and those things. And so we just put that to you. If that's something you could do and it might help someone else, that's all we want to do is to be a help to the body of Christ and to be a blessing to God. So if you can do that, that would be a great way to support the program, which we are always so uh, grateful for. Uh, also, we always want to remind you we are part of the Christian Podcast Community collection of fantastic podcasts uh, that you will always get great information from, great teaching, uh, great material, and it's always going to be biblical because you know that there's a you know there's a vetting process. You can be safe in knowing there's a vetting process. You're not going to get some weird NAR health and wealth prosperity bizarro leftist progressive nonsense you're gonna get a program that fits within sound biblical parameters so you know check out the christian podcast community you're gonna find something uh, want to encourage you once again go check out our website slave to the king.com we just dropped an article this morning which was maybe not the best timing. I didn't think about it at the time, Rich. Uh, but I, I put an article out, and we'll touch on it maybe a little bit in this program. Uh, not the main purpose of the t- of this recording tonight, but uh, it it does have some play in. And it was res- basically a response to uh, writer David French, who is a kind of an... Uh, we would maybe term him Big Eva, that kind of big evangelical machine... Uh, voice and he writes for conservative politically conservative ostensibly uh, websites and so it was a response to his endorsement of the there was a bill that would pass cloture in the senate for what they call respect for marriage which actually disrespects marriage and, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit but what uh, David French is doing and what so many others are doing is this kind of fence riding where they're trying to say we are 
biblical Christians, we are conservative politically, but we have to maintain our influence with culture, so we have to give a little. And so we did an I did an article addressing that, and I hope it's really helpful. I, I say maybe timing wasn't the best, because I think Al Mohler dropped an article yesterday, and then Delano Squires over at, uh, I think it's Daily Wire, who's, I know he's a friend of a lot of people, uh, you know, he's friends with uh, our, our, our good friends, Daryl and Virgil, he's known uh, in those circles a lot, and uh, very conservative, uh, very biblically-minded black gentleman who, who writes so well, and he just dropped an article, I think, today. So... <laughs> Yeah, good luck finding my article if, if, you're, if you're looking at anything responding to David French today. Uh, Google's going to be like, who? <laughs> so, but we, we ask you to consider signing up as part of a, as being a follower of the website because that's when you'll learn that things like new articles, new shows drop, new content comes out. And uh, even though right now Elon Musk seems to be generally kind of honoring his commitment to free speech, though what that will look like as time go goes forward is still unknown, uh, we still can't guarantee that you know Christianity and Christians will have a voice in the public square. So this is just one of those ways that you can always try to make sure that you can you know be kept abreast of what's being put out by our uh, by our website. So we'd encourage you to do that. And of course, if you do want to support the program, there's a Patreon link through there. There is the website for doctrineandlife.co, which sells the their stickers for the show uh, that has the logo. We also have t-shirts. So those are ways that you can consider supporting the show if you're interested. But we would encourage you to be part of that. So I want to thank you once again for being listeners to this program, being a part of our family. I'm sorry, my throat's trying to go dry on me as I'm talking. So having to swallow a little bit as I'm, as I'm uh, talking here. Rotten timing as always. Um, but don't do this at home. This uh, We do this, and we're not professionals, and now you know what it looks like. So, <laughs> But I uh, was so grateful once again to have you guys all be part of this and continue to support us with your prayers and with your, uh, your feedback and your sharing. So thank you for being uh, with us this week as we go into this week's topic. How are you doing this week, Rich? Well, obviously be better than a brother of mine who tried to cut off the tip of his nose earlier this oh, week. Oh, thank you. for <laughs> You had to go and bring that up. <laughs> well, I didn't say who. I just said a brother. I, all I know is I have the most unique way of finding, uh, of finding ways to injure myself. That's all I can say. All I tried to do was shave a portion above my beard and... Yes, everybody made comments about, see, you're not supposed to trim your beard. And as I lifted the razor away, <laughs> I apparently got a little too close to the tip of my nose. <laughs> and I've got two nice little gashes right across the tip of my nose. <laughs> well, like I replied back to you, you're still not even close second to me, brother, because you know some of the stories I've told you. I mean, the other day I threw out my back with duct tape. <laughs> and I'm not even going to explain that one, but it, which honestly, it don't take a lot for it to get a kink in it. But let's just say that you cutting the tip of your nose while shaving doesn't hold a candle to some of the stuff that I've done that you know of that I'm not going to share. So. Well, I, I I tend to be dumb enough to share for both of us just how how uniquely i can <laughs> injure myself i don't know why i tell people these things but i figure i'm gonna show up at church 
with these slices across my nose, I might as well just put the story out there now because I'm friends with a lot of those people online anyway. And so instead of telling <laughs> the story 3,000 times, I'll just say it once and you can all look at me laughing and we'll move on. So... <laughs> Uh, but aside from the obvious, well, <laughs> better than you, how are you doing this week, Rich? As always, brother, better than I deserve, but I figured that would catch you off guard because <laughs> you're so used to the typical response that I provide that I try to live on a daily basis, but it, it's been a challenging couple of weeks, and I would, all, all kidding, teasing aside, People, you just don't know and realize just how patient Chris is when it comes to me and our erratic programming schedule because 99.999% of the time when a show has to be postponed or a rerun dropped, it generally has something to do with me or what's going on in my life and in, in my little area. So I just want people to know just how patient my brother Chris actually is. Well, brother, as you and I have always said, that um, family and health always comes first. While it is a blessing to do this podcast with you and to be able to share our thoughts with our listeners, uh, you guys got to understand that we made an agreement very, very early on that this is a podcast. This does not take precedence over family. This does not take precedence over health. Uh, this does not take precedence over emergency situations. We will always do the best we can to put out good content in a timely manner. But uh, if there are circumstances, and it doesn't have to be an emergency, if, if it's just a situation with family, maybe it's the circumstances that day will not allow us to get behind the microphone. You know, it doesn't have to be an emergency. It's just that family comes first, then that's what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, it's not an issue of being a patient with you, brother. It is just a simple commitment that our families and the lives that God has given us to be responsible for will always come first before the podcast. And, uh, folks, we, we try not to drag you into too much of that information, mostly because, like you, we've all got things that come up and you don't need to hear the stories over and over again. We just ask if you can be to try to be patient with us. Uh, so we don't try to hit you with a lot of stuff. Uh, sometimes it's stuff we just can't get into. But it's never an issue of being patient. It's never, I hope you guys understand, you listeners, that we never hope, we hope that we never feel like, uh, cause you to feel disrespected or neglected in some way. Like, why do you guys keep taking so many breaks lately? It is that commitment that we made very early on that our families and the lives that God has given us to 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 be responsible for would always, always, always take precedence. So, brother, don't even sweat it. It's not even an issue. It's not a matter of being patient. It's just this is, I'm, we're going to honor that commitment. I hope you understand that. So, Well, I just wanted our listeners to know how much I appreciate what I consider your patience and the patience from our listeners because, like you said, a lot of our listeners are facing similar circumstances in their own lives with family and their own health issues. And we have quite a few listeners who are disabled like I am. And I, I get some feedback from some of them and have the honor of discussing some issues with them in private from time to time. And everyone has something going on. seems like these days all the time, but I just wanted our listeners 
to know just how much I appreciate you, brother, and how much I appreciate your patience and all that you do for the show. I just kind of show up. Chris does all the <laughs> editing and the postings, and I just share and basically do for the deeper episodes that go into deeper topics. I'm the research arm of department of the of the show, so um, <laughs> it's a it's a team team effort. Amen. So I just wanted to put that out there and say thank you to you and thank you to the listeners. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, folks wanted to get, kind of dive right into the topic tonight. So unless you've lived under a rock, um, obviously most everybody knows the big story right now, which is the issue of the not passage of the legislation, but rather the vote which allowed the legislation to basically pass cloture. In other words, the Senate will ha, is voted to end the possibility of filibuster on the discussion of the bill, which is called the Respect for Marriage Act. And basically what the Respect for Marriage Act is, is an attempt to codify into federal law the Obergefell decision. And the reason for that, of course, is the Dobbs decision, which overthrew Roe v. Wade. And so when that happened and there was discussion on part of one of the justices to say, hey, we need to revisit some of these other decisions where the, what the mechanism that triggered how they could view Roe v. Wade, that mechanism was applied in other cases and we need to revisit those cases. And so now everybody thinks Obergefell's on the chopping block. And so here we go again with we need to you know have this uh, codification of really a sinful act, you know, and, and by the way, if you are not a Christian, you don't get to tell me I'm a terrible Christian because I've said what the Bible says is true. If you reject the word of God and you reject its sufficiency, its inerrancy, its, uh, its inspiration, its infallibility, you don't get to tell me that I'm a terrible Christian. Why? Because you have nothing to appeal to except your own emotional state. I'm going to just say that up front. I have seen more than I can, more times than I can count, and I'm just hard, honestly tired of seeing it. It's going to continue, by the way. We need to be prepared for this. But I am tired of seeing, oh, you're a fake Christian because you preach hate. No, I'm a true Christian. I stand by the word of God. You are either not a Christian. Be, well, let's just put it simply. You're not a Christian, period. If you If you take the side that says sin is a good thing, you're not a Christian. Okay, I'm going to point that out. But if you claim to be a Christian and you reject the word of God, you have no grounds. If you are not a Christian, you seriously have no grounds. You have no ability to define what Christianity is. You need to stop. Okay? But going back to this, the um, this is an attempt to codify into legislation that which God calls an abomination, that which God says is a sin. And we have the legislature or the Senate now trying to say, we want to create this bill by which we will define by law that marriage can be whatever we call it. And so that is what's going on right now. And there's a lot of discussion. And unfortunately, there are, I think in their minds, they think they're well-meaning. I will say they are compromised in the night. That's probably the nicest way I can put it compromised people who are say that they are Christians who have high elite evangelical positions who are trying to support this and amongst those are people like David French who is a uh, he's a writer at uh, let's see 
He's a writer at The Atlantic, and he's the senior editor at The Dispatch. He is defending this Respect for Marriage bill. Uh, I saw, and I didn't get a chance to read the article. I will have to... Uh, it's one of those things that I know it's going to give me a headache, but I'm going to have to read it. Uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, who is over at SBTS, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, whom we have talked about on this program because of things that happened with uh, a good friends of ours, Tom and uh, Jennifer Buck, who she was involved in that incident. She has apparently written to say that what that bill that they're putting forward in the Senate is a good thing. And what they're trying to do is, is kind of split the difference by saying, well, there's, there's religious protections in there. And so therefore we can say, yes, this, we can support this because it protects religious liberty, but at the same time, it, uh, it, it honors the rights of these individuals who have loving relationships. And, uh, we, the government has a right to say that they can have these legal, uh, legal marriage status relationships. So that's a part of the, the 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 landscape right now. That's what's going forward. The interesting part of this, of course, is it has renewed that discussion about gay marriage. It has brought this all back to the surface once again. Now, mind you, twelve Republicans in this particular uh, vote to pass cloture, voted in favor of. So if you are someone who has one of these Republicans who has voted for them, uh, voted for this in the Senate, I would maybe consider who you're going to vote for in the next election. Uh, I would encourage you to consider that. But because of that, you know, that reminds us that the political system is one of those things that the Christian cannot hang its hat on. It cannot... Uh, we cannot uh, assume that if we vote for the quote-unquote right people that righteous and good legislation will always go forward. Uh, that is what we have tried to talk about many, many times is that ultimately our hope is not in the politics. We we vote our conscience. We vote according to biblical conscience. We tell our representatives we want you to honor God in the position that he's given you. And we hope, we hope and pray in that that's what happens. But ultimately that's not what our you know, solid hope and our solid joy is founded upon. It's founded upon Christ and that eternal city that is yet to come, which just made all our post-millennial friends' heads explode because they're like, how dare you? <laughs> so we won't get into that discussion right now. But out of that, of course, are now all those discussions that are coming out, especially from the left and from uh so-called Christians or you know, religious people who are speaking to Christians about how dare you say gay marriage is not a thing. Now, before I get into that, Rich, did you have any thoughts? Because I'm already kind of running ahead of us here. <laughs> that's, that's okay, brother. One thing I do want to point out, since you mentioned the Republicans that voted for this bill, what many people do not realize, that the wording in this bill, they included interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. And that in itself ought to be a slap in the face to every minority, especially the older ones that fought for real civil rights for real minorities who were really persecuted because of the tone of their skin color. Yeah. Th this bill is a complete slap in the face of every civil rights activist and movement since the 60s because they are equating homosexual marriage with interracial marriage. Interracial marriage is not forbidden in the word of God. 
homosexual unions are forbidden in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. There's two completely different distinctions within that. Interracial marriage is between a man and a woman. Homosexual marriage is between two men or two women or whatever the multitudes of genders there supposedly are nowadays, by which, and we'll get into this briefly later on, this is not the end of the issue. At some point, we're going to be having to listen to them debate how many people can a person legally be married to. Yeah. That is where this is leading down the road. Absolutely. But on the issue of these Republicans that voted for this bill, it is simply because they are scared to death of being labeled racist because of the interracial language included in this bill. I really, truly believe that mo most of the ones that actually voted for it were not voting for it because they actually supported it. They voted for it because they feared being labeled a racist like some of the Republicans were who did actually vote against it. And I really believe it's because they were too scared of that and they were scared of losing supporters by being labeled a racist more so than it was the fact that they actually supported what this bill stated. And Do you it, think so? I think that's a huge part of it. In fact, we saw... It, it was, it was uh, one of my own boys who pointed it out to me online, an argument. They're saying, oh, look, Mitch McConnell, who is married to an Asian woman, voted against interracial marriage. So, I mean, they're, they're actually using that as a legitimate, legitimately using that as uh, an argument to say, oh, this is, this is bigotry. If you voted against this, this is bigotry. So, yes, I think there's a, and there's a lot of other compromise going on there as, as well. Uh, but I think that's a really big part of it. I think you're absolutely correct. So, um, that's sorry, before I go on, did you, was there anything more you wanted to add it to that? No, go ahead. I'll, I'll save some other okay. for later on. <laughs> no problem. So, okay. So getting into what is being said about this now, Shocking to absolutely no one. Um, the, the progressive leftist people who describe themselves as Christians have all started coming out and making comments. And one of these is a, an individual by the name of Thomas Horrocks, H-O-R-R-O-C-K-S. He, uh, he describes himself as a pastor and a, a podcaster and a writer. Uh, he's got a website. I'm not going to give you the link to it because I really don't want you to give him uh, you know all the... The website clicks. Um, I, I don't think we need to go descending upon his bad theology just to, to prove that he is bad theology. But he, he says he's a pastor and he's a writer and a podcaster. Um, has a website, has written a book about abortion, but he's very leftist in his thinking. And he had written something when all this came out. This was back on November 16th. He wrote on Twitter, Imagine thinking that allowing gay people to get married somehow diminishes heterosexual marriage. Rich, before we get into this, is there something about the way that's phrased that makes you go, hold on a second? <laughs> well, um, my first thought is, does support of home same does the support of same sex marriage diminish interracial marriage? Right. My answer would be yes. Right. And does does homosexual marriage diminish same sex marriage? Yes, because it diminishes the word of God and calls Christ a liar. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. But here's here's what I want to point out. It is the fact that Thomas Horrocks, a, someone who describes him as writing about religion, politics, uh, someone who describes himself as a pastor on his website, 
Someone who, therefore, by nature of the fact that he's identified himself as a Christian, should know that there is a single definition of marriage. There is not gay marriage and heterosexual marriage. There is not three, uh, you know, like a, a polyamory marriage. There is not a marriage between an adult and a child. There is not a marriage between a, a human being and an animal. There is only one definition of marriage. Thomas Horrocks is creating a false narrative, a false description of marriage by saying gay people getting married and heterosexual marriage. He's completely framed the argument declaring to all of us that we must accept the idea that there can be two types of marriages. In other words, gay marriage and heterosexual marriage. Well, that's not accurate. That is unbiblical. That is simply false, untrue, and it is an abomination to the Word of God. Okay, um, let me just interject real quick. Sure. For those that are listening, most of our comments tonight are directed towards people who claim to be a Christian. Yes. We're not speaking to those outside of Christ. We're speaking to those who proclaim a profession in Christ, who claim to be a Christian. Sadly, most of them are pretenders of the faith and not possessors of the faith. And statements like that expose the tares from the wheat, expose the goats from the sheep. And if nothing else, this subject alone is separating the true from the false. Absolutely. And in one way, it is great because it is becoming more and more obvious who is Christian and who is not Christian. Now, the issue itself over homosexuality is not the defining guideline. It's not the, the litmus test as to what is and what is not a Christian. But it goes a long way to pointing out other areas to where... If they're supporting homosexuality, and you and I both have done enough research, if they're supporting homosexuality in any way, shape, or form, their theology is off somewhere else once you read and dig enough. Now, sadly, the, the banner cry among professing Christians today is homosexuality, homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage, whatever label you want to put on it, but sadly, the body of Christ as a whole, whether professing pretenders or whatever, is completely dead silent over the seed that leads to this bad tree that's de developed this bad fruit, which is sexual immorality and pornography itself. All of these things that we're seeing going on and what Congress is voting on and what's being talked about in the media did not happen overnight. The seeds for all of this oh, yes. were planted back during the 60s and 70s at the birth of the sexual revolution and the birth of the feminization and the feminist movement where they started telling women to, to take empowerment over <coughs> your sexual lives and, and to use it as a weapon and all these type of things. We're seeing the bad fruit of the bad tree from the bad seed that was planted decades ago. Yeah. And absolutely, you know, and I, I will take it even one step further. Primarily, we are a podcast for, by Christians for Christians. But if you're not a Christian or you're a left-leaning Christian, you describe yourself as a progressive Christian, or you're just not a Christian at all, 
And you take exception with what we said about what Bible about what marriage is, and how dare you say you can define what marriage is? I don't. I don't define marriage. God did. And I'll go back to Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-three. Then the man said, "This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and uh, she uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife." And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. At the beginning, at the creation of mankind, God institutes marriage. Now, well, that's just that's just Moses' commentary on it. And and you can't really explain, you know, besides Jesus, Jesus didn't say anything about marriage. He didn't, huh? Okay. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And we'll just start right at the beginning. And now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the town or the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And the large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to, uh, came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, we're speaking about the institution of marriage. Okay? They are asking specifically, Hey, Jesus... Is it okay to get how just like a, a you can divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever? Kind of like what we call today no fault divorce. He answered and said, "Have you not read?" Okay, this is Christ speaking. Christ is speaking and is about to give a Bible lesson to the Pharisees. "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female?" So the the one who created them, God, made them Male and female, those are the two categories, male and female, in relation to marriage. This is what he's speaking about. And and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Stop. What did Christ describe? Marriage. He gave the biblical definition of marriage, one man, one woman, in a lifelong monogamous relationship, ordained by who? God himself. Your debate... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say one thing, interestingly enough, this whole debate today and discussion over same-sex marriage, part of the origin has been the complete destruction of marriage mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Not just not homosexual, well, not same-sex, but the destruction of God's definition yes. of marriage. Let no man tear asunder, meaning it was never meant for man and woman to become divorced other than the cause of sexual immorality, meaning either the man or the woman had an affair right. outside of their marriage. That was the de- definitive statement. Sadly, how many decades has divorce become normalized within the professing Christian community in this country? It started, you know, divorce was extremely rare. If someone was divorced, that was looked down upon or shunned upon. Then that became accepted. Then that became the norm. Now you have the divorce rate in America among professing Christians is no different than the divorce rate among those who do not profess to be a Christian. And that is one of the sad 
realities of the origin of some of these things that we see going on. And as the old saying goes, all this toothpaste has been squeezed out of the tube. We're never going to get it shoved back into it. But one other thing to comment about what you just read in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, wife is always in the feminine yes. noun and pronoun. I, I don't have all the notes in front of me, and, I, and honestly, I probably could pronounce half of it anyway. But <laughs> it was always written in the feminine pronoun, meaning wife always means woman. <laughs> At no point in time in the scriptures does wife mean another man. At no time does the word husband mean a woman. I've seen these arguments online, people trying to say that the Bible never defined that a husband has to be a man and a wife has to be a woman. You are absolutely wrong, and mm -hmm. you are calling the Bible, you're calling the Word of God, you're calling Jesus Christ a liar, yep. because it is in there, it does state it, and in the original text, it's even more abundantly clear when you read and understand when it says wife, back during the days when a lot of this was written, you didn't have 90 different pronouns for a man and 90 different pronouns for a woman. It meant man and it meant woman, just like it says in Genesis. I'm and, sorry, go ahead. No, that's quite all right. And that's exactly the point I want to make, is that Christ himself, when everybody wants to say, well, Jesus, you need to worry about what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. And he points it back to the writer of Genesis, in this case, Moses, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who said it is male and female, created by God, ordained by God, in the institution called marriage, and we are not to divorce. Now, here's the thing about that, and you just brought, that was one of the things I was going to address, is this lifelong monogamous relationship in which you weren't supposed to just say, we have irreconcilable, I can't say it, irreconcilable differences, <laughs> therefore, we're going to part ways, and it's going to be better for everyone. You no, know, Jesus says that he, uh, because of the question of divorce, he says, I say to you, in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So the act of divorce and remarriage is a considered a sin by God as well. And I agree with you. This is where the church has dropped the ball and did so a good long time ago because what we have are arguments from people like David French, from people like Karen Swallow Pryor and others, who want to say, well, the government has this duty to be involved in, in ordaining civil marriages. No, they don't. The government got involved and the church punted. We dropped the ball here, folks. We dropped the ball. We never should have allowed government to get involved, but we did. Why? Oh, tax purposes and other things. Um, and we saw it as a benefit, and so we just let the, the, the church stop being involved because getting married was a church thing. The marriage, the institution of marriage was a church thing. It was a God-ordained institution. It was not a government institution. And funny thing about the Constitution, that you'll, you'll never find enumerated in the powers of government the, the ability for the United States government or any other government to be involved directly in marriage. So, okay. Go ahead. I, I, I want to ask you a question. And this goes back several decades and probably before you and I, either one were born. But there was a time when among the professing church, the debate was, is a marriage valid in the eyes of God if it takes place with the justice of a peace, justice of the peace versus a pastor? Right. Believe it or not, it's been at least within the late 50s, early 60s, 
the debate within the church itself, with leaders within the church itself, that was the debate. Yeah. Is it legal in the eyes of God to be married by, by a justice of the peace versus a pastor called to lead by God? And we've gone from that to now you have quote-unquote leaders within Christianity saying and defending the government's right to declare, mm-hmm. yeah, these two men or these two women can get married. That's how far Christianity in this country has fallen. Exactly. And that's where people like Thomas Horrocks really should know better. But Thomas Horrocks and others, they want the applause of the world. So what this is about is recentering the argument. When Thomas Horrocks tells you he gives you the categories gay marriage and homose- or heterosexual marriage. What is he doing? He's tra- trying to lay a trap for you. So whether it's him or anybody else saying, well, how does a homosexual marriage affect your heterosexual? That's not the question. The question is, in the eyes of God, who ordained the institution of marriage, government didn't ordain it. Government didn't create it. Government doesn't have the right to be involved in it. It is God's institution. The government has no right to be involved in it. In the eyes of God, what is a marriage? And according to Christ, it is one man and one woman in a lifelong monogamous relationship for which divorce has a very limited window. I'd like to add one thing too. In a historical context, even within the New Testament, marriage was not always the result of a man and a woman in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Love is never mentioned as a part of marriage being, you know, uh, a man and a woman must fall in love and then they get married. Historically, love was not the context of what constituted a man and a woman getting married. And I know that's going to rub a lot of people in today's (laughs) world really raw. But then, you know, if especially if you completely understand the days that they lived in Mm -hmm. in the New Testament where food was so scarce and poor people were really poor living, not knowing whether they're going to have a piece of bread this afternoon, much less tomorrow. And people had big families and a father would allow someone to, and I forget what it's called when the, when the male family give something to the girl's family versus when the girl's family gives something to the male's family because it's been back and forth over centuries. But I just want to say, because one of the arguments has been, well, if two people love each other, they ought to be able to get married. Well, historically and even biblically, love has never always, never been the absolute ground for a marriage. And I may be butchering this, but does any of this make sense to you, brother? No, absolutely. And I think it's the issue is, hey, do we want them to be in love? Yes. The question is, what does that mean? You know, you don't want um, uh, two people forced into a marriage where they can't stand each other. And now they're stuck in this institution for life and abuse comes, etc. We're not advocating for something like that. But what we are saying is, what's the biblical definition of love? Love is an act. It's not a an overly ushy-gushy emotion by which you just kind of drift off into this wonderland of, of warm, fuzzy emotions, and I just feel so complete. But a, and the act of love is actually that self-sacrificing, putting one's, you know, putting the other before oneself, 
doing for someone else what is best for them so that you are honoring them and you're honoring the God that is over both of you. And the act of love is not simply an emotion. Do our emotions attach? Yes. But emotions are not what lead it. Our emotions are, are led by the act of love, not the actions led by the emotional state. And so when we say, well, we should marry for if people are in love, you again are using a wrong definition. And if it, whether it was the arranged marriages of the past or whether it is a uh, the modern spin on a marriage where we, two people come together and they, they have this connection where they want to spend their lives together. And the, love is an act of putting one another first under the, 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 uh, the authority of God, then great. But if it's the emotional state, that's not grounds for marriage either because emotions are fickle and can change in a moment's notice, which is why we have things like no-fault divorce. We fell out of love. That's not the biblical definition of love. You fell out of your well, emotional warm fuzzies, but you're not, if you didn't fall out of love because love is an action. Go ahead, brother. That's because in today's world, people equate lust yes. with love. They do not understand what love is, much less what it is biblically. Love, even when it pertains to a man and a wife, biblical love in a marriage is a state of being. It's not an emotional state. Right. That's one reason that all of these divorces you see and hear about, and the statistics vary. Um, I read one the other day that said 50% of all marriages and in divorce I saw another one that says in, in, in of the divorces, this was this article was cited in 2021. It said 70% of all divorces are initiated by women. Yeah. People equate lust with love, and a marriage built on sexual desire will never stand the test of time. That's why you have such a high divorce rate. That's why you have... So many people getting married, things didn't work out quite like they wanted. That that spark, which was nothing but lust to begin with, is gone. And now they're looking for the next something bigger and better and hotter and prettier. And that's part of the problem in today's world. Homosexual marriage is not based or built on biblical love because it would be impossible. Same-sex marriage is nothing but lust seeking the affirmation of the rest of the country, period. Yeah. And that's exactly it. So, Chris, Rich, why are you spending so much time? Why are you so worked up about why, how, what definition we use about marriage? It's, it shouldn't matter. You know, it's, the world doesn't see it your way, okay? The world doesn't have to see it my way, but God is the one I'm concerned about, not the world. Here's why. God instituted marriage as a reflection of, of his relationship with his people. In other words, a godly marriage with a husband and a wife, children, under the roles that those persons have, reflects the relationship of God through Christ with his church. It is a small microcosm picture of this large, uh, this large reality. How do I know that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 22. And this is where the gnashing of teeth will happen, because so many people just love this verse. 
Starting verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let me stop right there real quick. Submission in, to godly authority within the family is a reflection of submission to the Lord. In other words, there's something more going on than just emotional state. There's something more than happily ever after going on. There's something more than sexual pleasure or intimacy. There is a reflection of our submission to God. So a wife's submission to her husband reflects her submission to her God. Okay, Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has, uh, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Stop again. A man's love for his wife, a self-sacrificing love that puts his wife first, that does everything he needs to do to make her spotless, and, and, and to bless her, to care for her, to present her to God as this precious gift is reflecting the love of Christ for his church. Marriage has two parts. The wife submitting to the, her husband, showing submission to the Lord. The husband loving his wife sacrificially, dying to self, and loving his wife in the same way Christ laid down his life for the church to make it a spotless bride for himself to present to God. There is a picture of the gospel here. It is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is not a simple it's not simply a emotional connection that we might think we want to spend eternity together or life together. No, it is a picture of something. What does it finally tie up into? Verse 31. Here was that verse again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is this? Paul says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is God's institution, which reflects his message of the gospel, and his picture of Christ and his bride, the church. When we refuse to honor God's definition of marriage, we start messing with the gospel. We start messing with this picture of the gospel that God put down here. So when I say the church punted and the church dropped the ball on this issue, this is where we messed up. We allowed the government to mess with something that they have no business being a part of. The gospel itself pictured in our marriages. So what does Paul say? What, what do we do now that we know that this is a reflection of the gospel? Verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is 
God's institution. It pictures his relationship with his people through Christ. You are messing with God's design when you start trying to throw in alternative forms of marriage. When people like Thomas Horrocks want to throw in, well, homosexual marriage doesn't mess with your heterosexual marriage, stop right there. You have no right to define something that doesn't exist in the eyes of God. Everything outside of that relationship, that, that God-designed relationship between man and woman, which is a reflection of his relationship with his church, is an abomination before his eyes because it destroys the gospel in microcosm. That is why when someone tells you, well, how does it impact your marriage? That's the wrong question. It is not the wrong question. It is not the right question. The right question is, how dare you decide for God what is a marriage? How dare you steal from God what is a marriage? How dare you mess with his institution, which he uses to present as a, in picture form, the gospel to the world? Thomas Horrocks is messing with fire. People like David French and Karen Swallow Pryor, and everybody who's trying to find some way to allow this distinction of gay marriage to exist is messing with fire when they say this institution can exist. It doesn't exist. It is a sin against God. It is an abomination before his eyes. It is messing with something he created, and it is clear in Scripture what it is. Any other attempt to redefine that is an attempt to redefine God's institution in man's image. That is the problem. We are now saying what God created, we can take from him and we can decide what it looks like. We can call it what it is. We can put the parameters on it. We can decide what love is. We can decide what sacrifice is. We can decide how long we can be married and how short we can be married. We can decide what it does to people and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. No, we don't get to do any of that. It is God's institution. And people like Thomas Horrocks and everybody else, they need to stop now and repent before God because when they are, what they are doing with is telling God he has no right to define marriage and they get to do it. Rich, that's dangerous. Well, absolutely, brother. And one thing, one question needs to be asked is what happened? At one time, our country acknowledged and, and honored the God-given role of marriage and how marriage was defined by God. So what happened? You know, you talked about at some point the government acknowledging marriage for tax benefits and insurance purposes. That, like so many things, was a blessing from Christ in the confines of marriage. Sexual relations is a blessing for the confines of marriage. The, the, in another way, you could put it, the, the tax benefits and insurance benefits and the other benefits of marriage was meant to be a blessing from Christ for his ordained definition of marriage. But what have we seen happen over the last 50 to 70 years is that the standard, which is the word of God, in the government, when all of these politicians are being elected, when for the last 50 years, when the church has compromised and allowed certain individuals to be elected and put into office because the cause was so important, we needed to compromise and embrace any worldview. We needed to 
make sure these changes took place. So we should be willing to vote for candidate X because he's not as evil as candidate Y and candidate X is going to support our beliefs. They may not be Christian, but that doesn't matter as long as they're conservative and thinking the right way and voting the right way. Well, guess what? All those decades of voting for the quote unquote right candidate without Christ being involved in the decision and thought process without wanting a true Christian person elected in that office, you've gotten exactly what you voted for. You've got a government now whose standard is no longer the word of God. The government standard is the sin that the society loves. The, the, the loves and whims of the society have now turned and shifted to where it dictates to the government what it wants. And in the beginning, it was uh, government by the people for the people. Well, the people want every form of sexual immorality under the sun legalized. The government's just giving the people exactly what they want. And in higher terms, the, the God, the creator of all things, is giving the people of the land over to the sin that it loves. And, it, and it's exactly what's declared in Romans 1 when God talks about giving them over to the sin and giving them over to the fact that they've rejected Christ. And today's society, today's government, loves sin more than they love God. It's that simple. And when the government standard is sin that the people love and not the standard of the Word of God, anything goes and anything is possible as long as it's not the Word of God. Because... I don't know, honestly, I don't know if in today's world someone that is a true born-again Christian could actually get elected to office because, by definition, that person would not be willing to compromise on anything. You show me a politician today that has not compromised somewhere down the road in order to get elected. And, and people talk about, well, we, we need to be accepting in order to reach the culture. No, we don't. Paul was not promoting and teaching acceptance when he was proclaiming the gospel to worshipers Aphrodite, whose immorality and sexual deviance would make today's world look tame and look like the 50s, people don't understand just how depraved and sexually immoral the Roman culture was in the different lands that Paul traveled. It, today's world is nothing in comparison to that. And then Paul stated that things would go from bad to worse. And you have to look at the standard of what he was looking at as bad. And you have to look and read and understand and study how depraved that culture was. And he called that bad and things are going to become worse. As bad as things are now in this country, we haven't even come close to hitting the worst portion yet. We're not even completely falling to the level of what depravity was being practiced under the Roman colonies with the worshiping of Aphrodite and some of these other Roman gods and goddesses. But the problem is, it all comes down to this world loves its sin more than it loves Christ. Yep. And sadly, instead of proclaiming the gospel, people are just arguing and fighting over the issue. It's like, instead of ripping out the cancer, people are trying to treat the splinter in a finger mm -hmm. and arguing, fussing, and debating over how to pull that splinter out instead of ripping out the cancer. 
It's not a drink this red water and things will be better or drink this blue water and things will be better. People need to be drinking of the living water, the word of God himself, because without the word of God, without the proclamation of the gospel, without salvation, these people are going to die and spend an eternity in hell. And all the fussing and debating and voting under the sun will never get a person saved. That's only done through the blood of Jesus Christ. And people don't understand, see the arguments, well, they were born this way, or I was born this way, I don't have a choice. No, the problem is you were born that way. That means you were born with the imputed sin of Adam, the original sinner, the one who fell. You need to be born again in Christ. You need the imputed righteousness of Christ in order to be saved. And no manner and no amount of debate arguing or voting could ever lift the veil of Moses that still lies over the faces of so many who profess to be Christian. Only Christ can remove that veil and open a heart to understand, and that is only done through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, we have pretenders of the faith who are performers, such as Karen Pryor and Mr. French, who are trying to compromise with anyone and everything in the quote-unquote name of Christ, when they need to be standing firm on the word of God, proclaiming his gospel, instead of worrying about how much money they're going to make off that next book deal. And that's basically what it boils down to with these so many evangelical leaders within American Christianity, brother. Amen. Amen. And I think that's part of the, the issues that folks are not understanding. And this is how it's so easy to get caught up in the debate, and, and when you fall prey to the discussion, the way it gets framed. So when you have someone like a Th Thomas Horrocks, who does not rightly frame the discussion, and he uh, he posits the existence of gay marriage or homosexual marriage as a simple de facto truth. It just exists, you have to accept it. No, I don't accept it. I reject it because God has rejected it. And then you go to, you're talking about the evangelical leaders, these, you know, evangelifish, <laughs> right? Um, you take what happened with David French, and, I, and I'm, I'll share the article link in the show notes in case y'all are interested in reading it. David French's, uh, you know, argument is, well, you know, the government has a duty to be involved in, in, in certain things, including the... Um, uh, you know, civil marriage area. So while religion, in our religion, marriage is this, the government has to deal with it in a civil realm. Well, government doesn't have to deal with it because government doesn't have the right to deal with it because God determined it. So what are we dealing with? What What is the problem? Is Well, David French wants to be able to say, well, there's this worldview which says gay marriage is acceptable. That's not ours. Our worldview says... It's it uh, it isn't acceptable. So what we need to do is have this middle ground, where the LGBTQ crowd has their rights protected, and we have our religious rights protected. So we can't stop them from getting married, and they can't come after us religiously or after our religious uh, or after our religion because we have protections. And that's what he wants. He wants this kind of utopian middle ground. It doesn't exist. We've had James White on our show talking about the myth of neutrality. There is no neutral ground. 
when we're talking about the, the, the foundational views that gave rise to the Constitution that David French wants to say, that's, that's the protection, that's what we need to appeal to, that came from a Judeo-Christian worldview, which said rights came from outside of us. They were endowed by our Creator. So the idea of being able to marry is something that comes from our Creator, if you want to call that a right. And that's a religious practice. And the government doesn't get to be involved in it. If you actually want to, Mr. French, if you actually want to appeal to the Constitution, then what you have to say is that is a religious institution and the government has no power here. That's what you should have done, Mr. French, but you didn't. Instead, you punted, and you punted in favor of a worldview that has nothing to do with God and has everything, by his own admission in his articles, and I, I do link them in this in the uh, in our blog article. By his own admission, it's something that doesn't tolerate the Christian worldview. It wants to destroy the Christian worldview. It wants to make the Christian worldview fall apart so that it can tout itself as the highest good, and therefore rob the Christians of their of their rights, take from them, shut them down, shut them up. There is no neutral ground. The worldview that inspires the idea of there can be such a thing as LGBTQ plus marriage is the worldview that says, well, Christians are oppressors and we've been oppressed and so we have to supplant them and they have to be oppressed and pushed down and we have to be lifted up for there to be equality. It is a, it is a war of worldviews. Again, David French completely misses it, either purposely or just because... He's so focused on trying to please the world so that it seems like we can somehow gain a, a access to the world's table and have influence. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for him. I know some people genuinely believe he, he knows this and he doesn't care. And he's, he's just, uh, you know, trying, you know, he's really just a leftist in disguise and whatever other things. I'm simply going to say, I can look at what he's writing and know for a fact that he's dead wrong. And he's doing so because he wants to appeal to the world. That much I know. And he is. Well, I have to. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just thinking, and I just have to wonder if he's ever read where Paul wrote, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers." And in the context of one of his writings, he was not speaking of marriage; he was speaking mm -hmm. of spiritual endeavors. When you're discussing marriage, when you're discussing worldview, if you're willing to compromise on any aspect of the Word of God in order to promote, quote-unquote, peace and unity, you're co compromising the Word of God, and you are partnering with the doctrine of demons. You are partnering with those outside of Christ. Yep. Because all these false religions, all these false gods, are nothing but demons in disguise. And sadly, in today's world, the demons have changed their name from Aphrodite or Artemis to Jesus. They, they appear and, and try to promote, well, this is Christianity, when actually all they're doing is promoting the doctrines of demons. Yeah. The Bible is beyond specifically clear about there's light and there's darkness. There's no compromise. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. You either are standing for Christ or you're, or you're standing against Christ. And this modern-day method and pragmatic way of thinking of, well, we've got to get 
people interested in church. We've got to get them coming so maybe they'll take an interest in Christ and maybe they'll get saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's a man-made creation in order to pack butts in the pews and pad the donation plate and to sell books and to sell Bible studies. All of that are man-made creations made in order to glorify the man instead of glorifying the Christ who actually can save those lost souls. Yep. Amen. Amen. So why do we spend the last hour talking about this? Because Christian, right now, you're going to be faced with questions like Thomas Horrocks presented. You're going to be faced with compromises like but that people like David French want you to make. Here's a simple fact. Those compromises, those redefinitions are about trying to make the world feel like they're loved and accepted. And somehow if we can just do that, we can therefore have influence in the world and we can still continue to speak the truth. The problem is, is once you give the beast even a tiny ounce of food, that pinch of incense to Caesar, as they did back in, as they would demand back under the days of the Roman Empire, the beast will never be satisfied. Okay, it will always want further and further compromise. The simple truth is, this issue matters because the gospel matters. If we tell people as Christians. Okay, we don't agree with you having a gay marriage, but the government should be allowed to give it to you, and you just leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. We have invited the beast into our camp and said you have the right to dictate what God himself has created. You get to dictate the terms of. We've given ground. This, okay, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. If we do, as Christians, if we do not if we do not draw a line in the sand, mm -hmm. and sadly we failed doing this years ago when same-sex marriage was legalized, we have got to draw a line in the sand as Christians and say this is what the Bible states. This is how the Bible defines marriage. This is the line in the sand. We will not and cannot cross it. We have crossed that line years ago. Right. The question is, more than likely, this will end up passing, this will end up becoming a law, and it'll be a, a, an issue for the next generation to be struggling over. But the issue in the future will not be same-sex marriage. Yeah. The issue will be defining how many people can be married and be allowed these tax breaks and be allowed to be put on the insurance because once they cross this line and people warned about the same-sex marriage debate then and we've seen and witnessed a lot of the fallout since then but the fact is that from this point forward once this is passed and made into law the next fight will be well i'm a man and i love both of these women i should be allowed to marry both of these women that will be the next fight. Either that will be the next fight, or it'll be a mixture of, well, I should be able to allow, I should be able to marry this 15-year-old girl because we're really in love with each other. The age limit will be up for debate, and at some point, it'll be up for debate as to whether 
I can marry my tree or I can marry my car because without the standard of God's word, anything is possible and anything is open. And this world is perverse and crooked and will embrace anything and everything except the word of God, especially if it's a sin that they're in love with. And it's that simple. I know it's sad and sounds tragic and sounds very, you know, depressing and apocalyptic in nature, but the Bible states as much. So when we see sinners of the world in love with sin, in love with themselves more than they love Christ, which the Bible tells us is going to happen and is happening, one thing we need to remember as Christians, when we see sinners acting out of their nature, we should not be surprised. Sinners are going to act like sinners because they are sinners because they're not in Christ. Amen. And the simple fact is, is when these discussions come up, now what are we doing? We're taking it back to where it belongs. We're taking it to the gospel. The The reason we have these discussions, as you just said, Rich, the reason they're happening is because the world by nature is enslaved to sin. And this is the world acting it out. And the church, in some places, has failed to act where it should have act, acted. And now we are dealing with the consequences of that. Now, would this still have happened if even if we had stood up? Yeah, it probably would have. In time, as the world continues to go from bad to worse, as the world continues to dive further and headlong into sin. And by the way, the reason we are this far down the rabbit hole is because Romans 1 is his God's promise to what he will do to a people that continue to reject him. We are a nation and a culture given over to depravity. That's just a simple fact. In fact, you really want to see how far down the rabbit hole we've gone. All you got to do is, I'll put this in the show notes too, Axios.com news website just put out about an hour ago that the club that the 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 LGBT nightclub shooting in Colorado Springs that happened I think over the weekend where five people were killed the suspect who was later arrested uh, Anderson Lee Aldrich what what are we all hearing right now Rich you and I are engaged in hate speech according to the media what we say about that. Uh, homosexuality is a sin. LGBT stuff is a sin. They, they, their gay marriage is an abomination before all those things, according to the news media, inspired Anderson Lee Aldrich to engage into this hate-filled act. Well, here's how far down the rabbit hole we are, folks. Be prepared for this news story to disappear. I'm not kidding. You know why? Because according to Axios.com, the suspect, Anderson Lee Aldrich, is facing multiple hate and murder charges um, over uh, who is uh, facing multiple murder and hate charges uh, over the shooting club last weekend. It killed five people. Uh, I missed a line. I overshot it. Where'd it go? Ah, uh, here. The public defenders for the suspect in the mass shooting at the Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub said in a Tuesday night court filing obtained by the New York Times... That their client is non-binary and uses they/them pronouns. Be prepared before the week is out to never hear about this story again until the guy gets sentenced. We have been told that what Rich and I just did tonight is the cause of Mr. Aldrich going out and shooting up people. Mr. Aldrich just identified himself as part of the LGBTQ community by saying he is non-binary and uses they/them pronouns. That's how far down the rabbit hole we are. A man who is saying, this is who I am. And by the way, according to the new lexicon, if you say, this is what I identify as, nobody gets to question it. 
there will be attempts, I'm certain, of people to say, oh no, that's a lie, he's not that. There's no way. It doesn't matter. According to the new lexicon, if you identify this is what you are, that's what he is identifying at in court. This story is going to go away, but you can be rest assured that's how far down the rabbit hole we've gone. That the man who killed five people is trying to say, but I'm part of them. When this subject comes up, this is an opportunity to pro proclaim the gospel in its fullest. Because marriage is a picture of the gospel. It is the picture of God's relationship with his church. I and, will add to that that sexual immorality mm -hmm. is a sin. Yes. It doesn't matter whether it's a man and a man, a woman and a woman, or a man and a woman. Any sexual act outside the bonds of holy matrimony is a sin against God and is a sin in God's eyes and you will face the wrath of God for eternity. Yes. It doesn't matter which label you want to use within all of that, but as Christians, we, not, we should not only be speaking out against same-sex marriage and homosexual behaviors, we need to get back to the foundational word of, the God, of God and the purity of marriage, the purity of the bonds of sexual relations in the bonds of holy matrimony, because... Sadly, in, in most places today, you don't hear sexual immorality preached against. I know some pastors in my local area in the last couple of years that had a man and a woman living together come to that pastor wanting to get married, and that pastor told them as long as they were living together in sin, he would never marry them. And, you know, you never hear about those stories, but they're still going on and still happen. But as Christians, we not only should be pointing out the sins of homosexuality, we should be pointing out the sins of heterosexuality too. Because if you're having sexual relations to some with someone that are that is not your spouse, if you're viewing pornography, if you're involved in, in any of these things, all of these things you are stand in, in condemnation against God and against God's word. And I can't remember the verse right now, but it says all fornicators, all sexual immorality, all are bound for hell yeah. under the wrath of God. And I apologize because it, my brain doesn't work that great. I don't have the world's best memory. Sometimes I just remember snippets of Scripture. <laughs> but um, I'm working on trying to memorize more Scripture. But that is, that is the biblical truth. And in today's world, pornography and sexual images and sexual innuendos and, and eluding or implying that some character in a television show slept with three different guys in the course of eight episodes, that's still sexual immorality. We need to be speaking up and out and against all forms of sexual immorality. And when these topics come up, point out to that person that supports gay marriage Point out to that family member that has a quote-unquote partner. Point out to whoever it is that it's not just homosexuality that's a sin. All forms of sexual immorality is a sin. Because sadly, some of the statistics involving out-of-sex, I mean, out-of-marriage 
pregnancies and the number of professing Christians that are engaging in sexual relations outside of marriage and adultery and all of these type of things, for those within the church, the statistics look no different than the world, and that should not be the case. Christians are to be a light in the darkness of the world. We should be proclaiming the biblical way of salvation and not just out trying to share our thoughts or just out trying to share, quote-unquote, love with others. They don't need affirming in their sin. They need sin defined. They need to understand and see the sinfulness of their sin, and that's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his word and explaining to them this is how the Bible defines sin. It's not my opinion. It is the Word of God. It's the only standard that we have. It is the only standard that we need. It is the only voice in this world that matters. Amen. Period. Amen. And only Christ Amen. can grant salvation. And while we're speaking to this person, we need to be praying for God to grant them salvation. When we finish the conversation or we finish handing them a tract, we need to be praying and continually to pray that God grant this person salvation, because I know we have listeners that have family members that are involved in either supporting gay marriage or maybe part of a gay marriage, or they have a quote-unquote partner, meaning a guy with a boyfriend or a girl with a girlfriend. Sadly, these, these examples are coming up more and more and more, even in my little area where I live, I know some very godly men and women who have family members that are quote-unquote homosexual or this, that, or whatever label you want to put on it. And it's becoming more and more common. And we need to start addressing these things and start teaching the body how to deal and answer some of these questions that people are having with, how do I talk to my niece? How do I talk to my cousin? How do I talk to my brother? How do I talk to my child and explain to them that what they're doing is wrong in the eyes of Christ? Well, firstly, the problem started when we quit explaining the definition of sexual relations as it applies to the Word of God in the first place. In today's world, you know, people live by the do whatever makes you happy, and people have took that to heart, and they think that that's the way they're supposed to live. And if anyone disagrees with them, they're very, very hateful. They're being mean. They're not affirming me. They're not supporting me because they don't agree with what I'm doing. That's not what the Word of God says. And they're not in the Word of God, so they can't understand what the Word of God says. They may read it. They may, you know, in a subconscious intellectual level, be able to understand what the words are saying, but only Christ can open a person's heart to truly understand what that verse means and it's as simple as that brother amen amen so folks this was this is not about owning the libs this isn't about trying to win the political argument this is simply it is a an object lesson for us as christians to recognize the world is at war with god again still and it is trying very hard to define in the place of God what is good, what is right, what is acceptable, what is to be celebrated. And it is telling us as Christians, no, 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 you've got it wrong. 
We're the ones who've got it right. We hate God, but we'll tell you how to worship God. We can't stand and do nothing. We have to be a voice and we have to speak truth to the world. And by the way, speaking the truth in love is not about, let's just find the nicest, least pain-inducing, least cringy way to talk about it. We'll just sugarcoat it enough that they it got in there and maybe they'll accept it. That's not the speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is like when you see your child about to jam a penny into a light socket and you know that it's going to kill them and you yell, No! You spoke the truth in love. Why? Because you didn't want your child to die. You got in the way. You pulled them out of there. You took the penny out of their hand. You did everything possible to protect that child. That is loving that child. And so when you yelled, No! What you were doing is speaking the truth in love. And when we are a voice that stands firm on the foundation of the Word of God, and we do not yield, whether we lose influence in the culture or not, whether we win the culture wars or not, whether the elections go our way or not, we stand firm on the Word of God and we say, gay marriage is not a marriage. It is an abomination before the Lord. Repent and turn to Christ then we are doing the thing that we are called most to do, and that is to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do the mission that we were called to, to preach the gospel and make disciples. Now, maybe all the efforts to push for, say, a Christian nationalism, and I know there's different ways people are referring to that. Right now, it's kind of the big debate online. I will leave that for others to discuss. Maybe one of these days I will sit down and try to understand those arguments better. I've got a couple books I need to look into. But whether we achieve that or not, the gospel goes forth. So let's say we got a great, we rescued the culture and it's more Christian in nature now and we have good godly people leading. Does that change our mission? Absolutely not. We still stand and say, no, this is sin. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. If we lose all of it, if the republic falls tomorrow, if we never live in a free society again, does our mission change? No. We stand up, we say, that is sin. Repent. Turn and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We do not compromise because it may give us some advantage in the culture. We stand up and we proclaim the truth and we tell this to our elected leaders. We tell it to the the, um, activists. We tell it to the people protesting in the streets. We tell it to the people who are trying to get us fired. We tell it to our neighbors who hate us. We tell it to our, our, our family. We tell it to our friends. We tell it to everyone because we don't want to dishonor God by compromising his word and we want to see people saved and turning to Christ. That is why this matters. So when a Thomas Horrocks or anybody else goes, oh, you're so hateful, you just want to justify your hate, you look at him and say, sir, you are blaspheming God because God has defined this institution and you want to rob it from him and then you want to tell his followers who believe in his word how they are not being good Christians. You are blaspheming God and you need to repent. And if, you, if we do that, we honor God in the greatest way possible because we give all glory to him, even when we are hated for it. Christ said, blessed are you 
when people speak of evil of you for my name's sake, when we are persecuted for his name's sake. We're not looking out, looking out there to start a fight. We're not looking out there to get people mad at us. We're not looking to be persecuted, but we will be, and we will be hated, and we will be persecuted when we stand for the truth. And we call upon those religious leaders, those people who want those high positions that we've talked about on this show before. They want to be the voice of evangelicalism. They want to, they want to guide this ship into less treacherous waters. We call upon them repent. You have compromised your faith. You have compromised it for political gain. You have compromised it for social acceptance. Repent because you need to turn to the word of God and stop blaspheming God's word by trying to allow for something God himself says does not exist. So that's why this discussion was important. We cannot allow the discussion to be stolen from the word of God and corrupted. They will do it. They will try to do it. And they will try to throw it in our face. We stand firm upon his word. Folks, we thank you for being with us. Went a little bit longer than I intended, but I think it was necessary. Um, hopefully we'll be able to come back later this week. I know Thanksgiving is this week. Um, Rich and I will talk offline of whether we can try to get one in uh, by Saturday. Uh, everybody's got family uh, obligations, so we'll see if we can do that. If not, we will certainly be back by the following week. Um, we've, we do apologize for some of the inconsistency. Uh, I know that's caused some listenership issues. It's, it's hard to know if you if you're going to have another episode or not so maybe you're maybe you're going to listen to something that's more regular i get that totally understand that um we're going to try as as much as we can to be as consistent as possible please forgive us when we have struggles with that um sometimes we got to just do the thing god puts in front of us first so thank you for your time god bless you guys enjoy the, this week thanksgiving give thanks to the lord in everything remember that we are to give thanks in all things, even the difficult things. Maybe that's something we can talk about on our next program. God bless you guys. Good night. We will see you next time. Mm -hmm.